on the move on the move on the move good people this is mike africa jr and this is my podcast where we illuminate the struggles of the people inform the uninformed and give you nothing but the truth on the move is here to disrupt the system and spark a global revolutionary change like sam cook said the change is gonna come but like gandhi said you got to be the change you want to see in the world and even though gandhi wasn't perfect he said something that was true and when the truth is present you better respect it so here with me today is a former software developer who quit he quit the tech world to focus his life on archiving and documenting live music and culture and weaponizing the platform he built to signal boost social movements and amplify marginalized voices through the media that he produces. His goal is to engage people politically by disrupting their consumption of entertainment. To the people, on the move, say on the move to Sunny Singh. On the move. On the move, Sunny. How you doing, man? Good. How are you doing today? I feel great. I feel great. It's, it's been a great week. I've been uh, doing some really great things. But before we get into that, let's talk about you. So one of the things that we do on the show, is called Give Me Two. So I wanted you to tell me like two things that you're planning to do this summer. Two fun things? Two things that make you feel good. They don't have to be necessarily fun. Yeah. But it's things that make you feel good that you're looking forward to. Okay. Yeah. So what I do for work is film live music. In the last year, we haven't had any live music because of the lockdown and everything right. that's going on. Right. The demic. The demic, yeah. So shows and concerts are being announced for the summer. So I'm looking forward to going to as many of those as I can. As many of those? As, as you... many. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see if there's going to be any spikes and upticks in, in cases. But Who do you specifically want to see? Anything. <laughs> anything? I'll see anything at this point. Anything from like a local. Like, there's a band playing their first show coming up there. I'm going to go I'm gonna go film them. going to see some bands that I've seen hundreds of times. So it's I'm just excited to get back into that world and be in the room with my camera and, and filming. So when you're with your camera, are you feeling, are you enjoying the show is what I'm asking. It's interesting because for a long time, that was just my hobby. Like going to the show, filming it, that was fun. Get to see my friends, see my favorite bands. But now that's technically work. Right. So when I go to a show, like I'm on the job site in a, right, in a right, weird way. Right. It, that, that doesn't impact my ability to have fun with it. Mm -hmm. Some people think that being behind the camera separates me from the actual experience of being there. Mm -hmm. But I disagree with that. I think when I'm filming, I'm paying attention to like, I'm hyper aware of looking for a powerful moment or an emotional moment. I'm zooming in on it and I'm trying to capture it. So even though like there's a physical device between me and what's right. happening in front of me, I am paying much more close attention to the, my surroundings. So I feel like the camera allows me to engage with a live concert in a way that it hasn't allowed me to do it before. That's a really good answer. It makes me think of like basketball players or football players. They got into it to do the sport because they like the game, but having it be a job is still fun for them yeah okay cool what's the other thing you plan to do i very eager to go to like the beach or just be outdoors more i was at longwood gardens uh -huh. a couple days ago uh -huh. i haven't been there since i was a kid i brought my camera so I, was like, I bring my camera everywhere right so it's just nice to be outside and with plants and trees and things like that so i'm excited to just go to the beach just get away from the computer because i'm constantly connected to it click, 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 click. i just need to disconnect for a weekend or two and just do that so I, my plan for the summer is just to do some outdoor stuff as well you know what my my give me two changed a little bit yeah yeah i mean i was going to say something silly like i don't know hang around the house and get some work done <laughs> <laughs> now i'm thinking about having some fun yeah yeah man I, you know what I, i'm not even a beach person you know when you're a kid you go to the beach and you want to splash around and get sand all over the place and then you you know spend the rest of your next week getting sand out of your drawers but not being able to go last year is giving me a second thought so a friend of mine asked me to come to their, it's not a resort, but it's, it's their place and it is close to the beach. So I was thinking about going there. 
And that's one thing I've been considering doing. I did it last year. I was offered the opportunity to do it the year before that and didn't. But last year we had a lot of fun. So I was thinking about doing that. The other thing I was really looking forward to is this year I'm, well, we, we got a new book called 50 Years on the Move. You seen it. You have I've a copy seen it. of it. I got a copy. And we're planning a tour book tour. So I'm really looking forward to that. I haven't done any speaking engagement tour stuff since before the demic. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to setting that up and getting back out there in person and not on a Zoom. Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's sad or Zoom. Yeah, like, okay, we can do Zoom. We can go in front of the computer and do certain things. But when you're trying to speak to an audience and give them your energy and all of that, it's very different when you're trying to do it through Zoom. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting back on the horse. So um, you're a punk band, guitar smashing, mosh pit videographer, dude. I guess that's one way to put it. Yeah. I mean, when I see your videos, that's what you I see, see yeah. the guys. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's how my mom describes it, too. You know, exactly. And like these guys are like, to me, it looks like they're losing their shit. I don't, I've never watched this kind of music before. I, I only started watching it because we're friends and, and I'm interested in what you're doing. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is a whole, this is a whole world of music that I've never, ever knew about. I mean, I've heard the word punk, but I don't know what it is. Right. But I started watching this stuff and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and a lot of people, most people know you from your Internet handle Hate Five Six. Yes. Right. Yeah. And for your footage of this hardcore punk bands and and I'm watching it and I'm checking it out. And the only thing that I can think of was you quit tech. <laughs> yeah. where where they're making a million dollars an hour and like it's quiet to video these bands in there yeah that's your thing that's my thing it was always a hobby it was a hobby since i was like uh 14 filming local bands in high school and this is pre-youtube this is around 2000 2001 but in my head at the time i said oh, if i just film these local bands and maybe someday there's gonna be a way to put these videos out and people can discover this band from the video and that'll be great my dad was like you're an idiot like what are you doing <laughs> i told my dad I was like, i'll burn dvds this is before dvd burners were readily available so i was gonna like hire or pay a professional company to like burn the videos i was filming to dvd and i was like i'll sell them and during lunch and cafeteria he's like you're an idiot no one's gonna buy a video of this <laughs> high school band playing in a basement somewhere so it always remained a hobby while i went to you know finish high school went through college, went to grad school, worked in tech. And then over the years, I just spent more time doing it and more of my mental energy and thought was being put towards it. And so it got to a point where I just got tired of working in tech and dealing with answering to other people and building, you know, working on apps and algorithms that I feel like are not benefiting people. And I would argue are actually hurting people. Mm -hmm. And so even though I enjoyed the work from a mathematical, theoretical perspective, I just did not enjoy the application of it. I really felt like I'm expendable to these people. You know, mm -hmm. after a couple of years, they'll just fire me and hire a recent grad who is eager to work for less. And they probably have a little bit more fresh knowledge because they're coming straight out of school. Like I am insignificant to them. And I didn't, I didn't, one, did not like that feeling. Mm -hmm. Two, I didn't like the feeling of just working on things that were not helping people in mm -hmm. a material way. Mm -hmm. And then three, just feeling like I was not a fully integrated person because nine to five, I was at work sitting at a desk typing code. And then at night and on weekends, I was filming these punk hardcore metal bands and stuff. And I never talked about the other while I was in the other space. So it was always, I was always keeping things separate. So I mm -hmm. felt like making the step to being this person who just films stuff mm -hmm. would allow me to be like a fully integrated whole person. 
looking back, the, the vision that I had when I was 14, and I say this a lot in other interviews, like the vision that I had in 14 of filming bands and that video would be a way for people to like discover a band or fall in love with them. It's here. Like that's what I'm doing That's what now. you're doing. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. So I, I, I'm humbled and thankful that I'm, I've been able to see it from that start. And my dad now is now fully supportive of it because the way he looks at it, he's like, oh, you're, you're technically- He's your, not saying you're an idiot anymore. He's like, no, you're your own boss. He's like, oh, you should branch out and film hip hop. You need to film country and film pop. I'm like, dad, I just can't walk into like a- <laughs> he's like, wait a minute, you got a good idea. Why give up on it now? So he's all about it. My mom is still like, can't you just go back to working in tech? And really? Yeah, she wants me to go back and be like a normal, <laughs> normal nine to five oh, person. Oh man, oh man, oh yeah. man. Nah. Well, let your dad deal with that part. Exactly. Of it. There you go. Yeah. So look, I'm a 42 year old black dude from West Philadelphia, right? And while I'm watching the punk scene, I'm checking out your videos, right? I'm looking at it and I'm like, there's not a whole lot of black and brown people in your world, what you're doing. The question that comes to mind is like, how did you get involved in it? Like just, just so you were filming the people, your, your friends in the neighborhood? Yeah, I mean, I will say that the demographic has shifted in the last couple of years, but I grew up, my older brother got me into like hip hop and hard rock and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, he might be your age. 40, 42. 42. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you remember Columbia House? Columbia. Oh, yeah. Sure. You'd send the, in the, the, a dime. Send a diamond. And you get and 10 CDs. Yeah. So yeah he and you never had to. Well. Yeah. <laughs> so he did that. <laughs> and he got in trouble when my parents got hit with the credit card bill later on. Of course. But he got a nice eclectic mix of music. So this is early 90s. He, he got like James Brown, Jimi Hendrix, Dr. Dre's The Chronic. Oh, man. Rage Against the Machine's first record. Soundgarden. All across the board. And so we would just sit in his room listening to music. That's how I fell in love with just all kinds of music was just mm. realizing, oh, I could sit in this room with my brother and sister and we're like bonding through music. So I, early on, I realized oh, music is a way of bringing people together. Mm. And so when I was in high school, friends were starting bands. I was not musically inclined, but I wanted to be involved in like this local punk indie rock scene in my, in my town. So I said, you know, I already had a camera because I was filming BMX videos. I'm like, I, I rode BMX as a kid. Uh -huh. So I, I thought to myself, in addition to that, I was also at the time into collecting VHS tapes of bands. Again, pre-YouTube. They weren't your videos. Weren't my videos. So pre-YouTube, there was a whole trading community, a whole circuit, underground like trading community of people who would make copies of VHS tapes of a bootleg recording of a band playing at the Spectrum or mm -hmm. wherever, make copies and trade it for another recording from another venue somewhere else. Okay. So I found myself in this world of just trading bootleg recordings of all kinds of bands. Of whatever. It was a combination of wanting to be involved in my local scene and seeing the camera as a way of just doing something. And then two, already being interested in live recordings because I realized oh, each concert is special because different set list, yeah. different audience, different whatever. And so I was really Really looking back, laying the foundations for what I do now in terms of just appreciating live recordings as a historical document mm -hmm. that's worth sharing because it brings people together, allows people to relive a moment that they were at or allows people to see a band on a screen that they may have been too young to see at the time. So the punk rock scene has historically been very white, mm -hmm. but something about loud, aggressive music really pulled me in. And I think it's because it's a very visceral But you're not thing. a loud, aggressive person. It's funny. It's sometimes oh, oh, Actually, maybe you are. <laughs> If I'm in the mood, I'll like scream and just like you get it out. I'll get it out. But yeah, yeah, I'm a pretty calm person, I would say. You know what? You know, you have a radical side and I've seen it. Even quiet doesn't necessarily mean that you're not radical. Right. It brings me to how you and I met and how we intersect in our lives. Right. Because some of the work that we do, this radical movement that we're involved in to help and support people in this political world. But I want to ask you this question. I want you to tell me the craziest thing or wildest thing you saw while you were filming something. Like at a, at a, at a show? At a, at a show, yeah. 
I've seen a singer get completely naked. What? <laughs> he just completely stripped naked. Yeah, everything. A birthday suit. And just... Why? Why did he do that? I don't know. So to this day, I don't know. And he like dove into the crowd. They... Yeah, and the security grabbed him. Hold on. He was a singer. <laughs> he was a singer. And throughout the performance, he slowly took his shirt off, took his pants off. Oh, that was planned. I think he was thinking about it. Yeah. So he just took his shirt off. Yeah. And then the jeans came off. Jeans and then some off. And a little some later point. on, the, all the underwear came off. Fuck it. Draw. And so that video... Yeah, so that... You have that on video? I filmed that because, again, I'm a documentarian. I'm like, I've got to capture this. I'm archiving this and doing this thing. So I put, and again, <laughs> I don't like being a revisionist. You know, I'm, I'm documenting things as they happen, but uh -huh. there's certain things that are going to get me in trouble if I post. Right. So it's funny. If you watch the video, I took a screenshot of his face uh -huh. and I uh, <laughs> I essentially CGI'd it over his, uh, uh. His, uh, his, his parts. <laughs> Frame by frame. So you just see his face the whole time. So it's censored in a very comical way. So what, when he jumped into the crowd, what was the reaction from the audience? People are just like, <laughs> just back <laughs> away. Parting way like the Red Sea, yeah. So I've seen stuff like that. I've seen fights break out. I've had my camera punched into my face by accident. Someone was really excited about the band. And he, he punched your camera? He stood in front of me and he swung his arm back and uh -huh. punched the camera into my face. And uh, half of this tooth is actually fake. <gasps> Yeah, so that, uh, and if you watch the video, like you see the arm coming to the camera and the camera gets punched, it looks like you're getting punched and then I fall down and I come back up. And, oh, uh, wow. So again, I'm, I'm literally trying to capture my experience and share that with first person perspective with nice. the world. Yeah. Nice. Listen, man, that shit is funny. But I mentioned the stuff about the radicalism, right? You're from the, the, the radical music, this, this loud, this in your face, hardcore music, your world, your life that you live in, you, you're capturing a lot of footage from these protesters that are happening, right? I think, I mean, I've, I've known you, I've seen you for years now. I didn't even know that we were gonna connect in the way that we have so far over these years. But what I saw you that made me like, I guess, take notice of you and your activism and how much you're involved in things was when I saw the protest on, on 676, right? And during the uprisings in 2020, you guys were out there and you were filming and you got hit in the neck with a tear gas canister yeah. from, from shot by the police. And then they tried to cover it up and say, you know, what, what, what was up with that? So, yeah, that was part of the George Floyd uprisings that were happening across the country. So that was early, that might have been June 1st, I think. You know, the day before the city had tear gas residents, predominantly black residents in West Philadelphia, just going down residential streets, tear gassing them. So everyone in the city was like, what is this about? Like, this is fucked up. Like, why are you, why are you doing that? Right. So I remember... That day, there were so many people marching in the city, tens of thousands, if not more. I can't remember what the estimate was, but we ended up marching along, you know, around City Hall. There was a whole row of just National Guard people with their Humvees and things like that. Then we ended up along the Ben Franklin Parkway. And at some point, we cut across and went down. And I remember I looked down on the on the Vines Street Expressway and I saw already a whole column of people on the highway just like marching, just overtaking the road. So I went down there with them. I had my camera. I was also live streaming on my phone. So I had two recording devices going. And I just said, this is where people are going. I'm going to go down there because this is going to be part of the story of what's mm -hmm. happening. And we, we were on 676 for a block and a half two blocks and i remember getting underneath a tunnel and hearing people screaming and my thought was screaming and running and my mm -hmm. thought and cars were backed up cars were stopped people were honking and, and, and raising their fists out the window like in support of what we were doing mm -hmm. but my first thought was oh shit someone's gonna someone's barreling down this tunnel and it's gonna run us over because i think that had happened the that day had, before a couple mm -hmm. days before in right. several other places so i 
natural instinct was just turn around and run out the tunnel. Just mm-hmm. go, get, that, get out of there. So I ran out and the only place that we could go was this embankment mm-hmm. along the side. So I saw people going up there, it was high ground. So I went up there and that's when we noticed that it wasn't a car. It was SWAT and riot police, like in their Robocop gear, pepper spraying people. Mm-hmm. So we were on the hill and I'm like zooming in, trying to capture what they're doing. A lot of people still remain on the street, but they ended up kneeling and put their ha- put, putting their hands up saying, you know, we're not armed, we're not a threat. Right. And I just stayed on the hill, kept recording. People were scaling the fence behind us. So at the top of the hill, there's still a 10-foot wall you got to scale mm. to get over back onto the, the Ben Franklin Parkway. Mm. Again, I had my camera, my tripod. And I remember looking up and being like, I guess I'm going to stay here for a little bit. Mm. And again, people were fleeing. Like People were running back up the the ramp that we took down other people were just on the hill pushing each other up that was the thing i noticed even though people were panicking people were also in solidarity solidarity with one another mm-hmm. helping each other get over the fence mm. hand their stuff over so people were looking out for each other mm-hmm. and it was getting tense because you could see there was smoke billowing in the distance and i didn't really register what that was and then the th- air was getting thick and it was getting a little hard to breathe and i was like okay i think that's actually tear gas mm-hmm. And you could tell people were beginning to panic and the tensions were rising and people were not stampeding, but people were really pushing against the wall to help people get up over so that they could then have their turn Mm -hmm. to get over the wall. And it's funny in a fucked up way. If you watch the video, I start yelling, hey, stay calm, stay calm. Mm -hmm. And the moment I say that, you can see in the frame a tear gas canister comes right at my camera and it just you can hear it whizzing and it just clips my neck and I'm standing against the wall. So it ricochets off the wall and then gets my arm, too. Mm. And then I don't drop the camera, but the camera fault. Like I point it down while I compose myself mm-hmm. and you can see the smoke billowing up from under my feet. And that's like tear gas. And I start choking. I rip off my mask because we're all wearing masks. We're trying, right. to, trying to observe some sort of <laughs> precaution against the pandemic. Right. But I had this decision. Do I keep the mask on and choke? Right. Or do I take it Ch- off and, and choke and choke and also risk getting COVID? Right. You know, so I took it off and I had my contacts in, too. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who's listening, tear gas can melt contacts into your eyes. And I knew that they can seal them to your corneas. They can seal it in. So I knew I was like, I had to get out of here. So I was starting again. People were you know, now pressed against the wall, really panicking. And luckily, I heard someone yelling my name, Sonny, Sonny, come over here. And I just followed that voice to the other side of the, the hill. Mm. And it was someone who knows my work from filming uh-huh. shows uh-huh. and he's like hey me you're like pass me your camera like so I, I put the camera over he grabbed it and then he just put his arms through the graded fence and just uh-huh. like gave me a, a boost with his hands to uh-huh. stand on and then just pulled me over and then i got over i like collapsed on the ground took my contacts out because i knew that if i left them in that would be very bad mm. and i somehow got myself home and the worst part of it not the worst part but the thing that no one told me is if you get tear gassed uh-huh. do not take a warm or hot shower my thought was, I'm going to go home, take a nice warm shower, relax. And just uh-huh. what happens is that opens up your pores uh-huh. and the tear gas residue burrows into your skin. And so that burning sensation lasted for like three days. Wow. Yeah. So you're supposed to take cold showers just to like get it off and keep your pores sealed. It's, it's very cruel if you think about it. I know tear gas is cruel. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been hit with it before. I've, uh, I felt it. And I didn't experience the... It didn't get on my like my body, but it got in my hair, and you can feel that like scrape up against your face, mm-hmm. and it, like it, it's it's there. When you try to wash it out, it's it doesn't just come out. No, it lasts. 
Dude, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and that footage was used by you know because the city was claiming that we were threatening police that, uh-huh. that we had surrounded a cop car and flipped in. So like, that footage proved that none of that was true. Uh-huh. And that's the footage that was used. I mean, there was a lot of people filming, but that was part of the footage that was used by like WHYY by New York Times to disprove the city's entire claim that tear gas was worn. So where are things at with that claim right now? So there's are a. You, are you like suing them? There's a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. There's like several hundred people on it. Again, this is not just people in 676, but people, residents in West Philadelphia who were also tear gassed the day before. Uh-huh. So there's several hundred people who were on that. There's several lawsuits. So the, across those, there's several hundred people. So it's still going through. There's not much to report right now, but it's like in the process of being litigated. That's a potential major lawsuit. Yeah. Wow. How has the city's behavior been? We're in the middle of an investigation right now because of what's been happening with the remains of Tree and Delicia and other people, too. And the city has been, according to them, they're going to be very cooperative and they're going to make sure that this is handled the right way. And the mayor said that Move was treated unjustly 50 years ago and 35 years ago and now today. Even though that those things didn't happen on his watch, he was going to make sure that Move was treated fairly going forward. So we're in an investigation and depending on the investigation, we'll decide what the demands will be. Has the mayor, has the city been that cooperative in a verbal way? So they're saying things like, well, we won't use tear gas again. No one believes that. Okay. No one in their right mind believes that. Okay. You know, so, I mean, the, the question is what actionable steps are they taking to keep officers accountable from actually doing that or any official from doing that? And they haven't done anything. So they're just saying, oh, we, we're sorry, we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have done that. And like Commissioner Outlaw, I think she came from Portland, mm. or Seattle. Uh-huh. Wherever, like, wherever she came wherever from. Wherever she yeah. came from. She also tear gassed people over there too in a previous, you know, protest environment. So they keep saying these things. We're not going to do it. We promise. Oh, we, we, we really messed up. And, you know, they one of those um, robocops that was pepper spraying people, uh-huh. he was charged and they just dropped the charges on him. Was he the one? Well, I saw a few of them that were like pulling people's masks off him. and yeah. spraying them. Yeah. It's always interesting to me when they say, oh, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have done that. Oh, I'm sorry, we won't do that again. I wonder if Sonny Singh could go to any of these places and pepper spray them and then get off with an apology. Right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then aside from that, I've been using this line, apology without action is meaningless. And I adjusted it a little bit. My dad gave me that, that quote. And I, I've adjusted it a little bit to apology without action is manipulation. Yeah. I think that's more accurate. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, how do you go? Uh, okay, I'm sorry. That's just something that they say so that they can get people off the scent, right? But they continue to do the same thing they were doing, and they're never held accountable for what they do. I was just thinking about it in regard to the stuff with Tree and Delisha. Imagine Mike Africa Jr. going and digging up one of their people and driving it around in the back of my car and displaying it and charging people, 5,000 people, I'm going to charge you to view it on Instagram with me and I'm going to show it up and be like, yo, check this out, y'all. You know what I mean? You're going to poke it. I'm going to poke it. I'm going to say the bones is juicy. You know, and then, oh, oh, damn, you wanted them. Oh, you didn't want me to do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Misunderstanding. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. If I had known that you didn't want this, I would have never done it. Yeah. You want it back? Here you go. Sorry. Am I going to get away with that? Like, come on, man. Hell no. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's crazy. It's manipulation. It really is. It really is. Yeah. It's manipulation. Now, <laughs> got to ask this question because, you know, I'm, I'm sure your mom and your dad have seen some of these things. And if they're anything like my mom and my dad, <laughs> they're probably saying some of the similar things. Even My dad, my parents are, you, you know who they are. They're, they're Mike and Debbie Africa. They just 40 years in prison for this day. But they still say things like, who's going with you? Uh, how long are you going to be down there? Call me when you get back. Maybe you shouldn't go to that one. You know what I mean? 
What, what does your parents feel? Like, I know if your mom was there when you went down that embankment, she would have grabbed your arm and put, a, put <laughs> her finger in your face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. They don't like it that I go. Um, more so my mom. Uh-huh. Uh, she's like, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get arrested, or worse. Well, your dad already agreed that you're a genius. You yeah. Make, you're making it happen. Yeah. <laughs> They're very concerned when I go out there, understandably so. Mm-hmm. But they also know that these videos are being used in... Like the, I mean, the UN looked at my footage, uh-huh. pressured the city into addressing the use of tear gas. So they know that there's value in the work that I'm doing. But again, I'm the baby of the family, so they want to protect <laughs> protect me every step of the, the way. Baby. But it's interesting. I, I talked about this recently. One of the things that my mom always did growing up was instill in us where we came from, and where we come from is the warrior class in India, uh-huh. or Rajput. It's the sons of kings. That's what it means. The sons of kings. Sons of kings. So she's very proud of the fact that our ancestors were kings and descended directly from kings. Mm. So <laughs> I thought about it recently. and I, well, what, I Yeah, I mean, before you go there, yeah. you thought about it. What does that mean, though? That means that you're not the ones that are fighting, though, right? You're the ones that's like descendants of kings. When I think of that, what I'm thinking of is we're not the ones doing the fighting. No, we're so they, they were the fighters, too. So oh, we, okay. we, we descended from like the people who were kings and also fighting alongside the kings. Uh. Yeah. So I thought about it. I was like, you know what? Huh. I would be betraying my right. my I, ancestral this, this lineage right uh-huh. if I just sat in the back, played it safe, rather than going out there and being a part of the fight. And so even though I'm not going into battle on a horseback with a sword, I'm going into the technically battle with my camera. And the, the camera is helping to tell the truth and keep the truth true to the people. So I don't know if my mom bought that. <laughs> <laughs> so that, <laughs> she's anything like my mom. I was like, that's too. Po- I was like, mom, that's poetic. It's, you, it's great. It's you great. got to respect you it. Gotta you got to respect it. I mean, we don't fight on horseback anymore, but there's other things that we use as tools to fight with. Yeah, their camera is one of them. It's a digital war. It's an information war. Everything we do is an information war. Getting the information she, out to the people. She wasn't buying it though. She's not buying it. She doesn't buy that. She's just like, just go back to working on tech and be safe and <laughs> film your punk rocks if you have to, but don't go out there. But the uh, the other part of it is like. Some of their friends, their children are a little younger than me, but they're starting to go out to rallies for Black Lives Matter. When you say they, who are you talking about? Uh, My parents' friends. So my my parents came to America from India in the 70s. And so they settled in New Jersey where there weren't a lot of Indian families. Mm -hmm. But they found other Indian families that were were also coming here and Mm -hmm. became friends with them Mm -hmm. and formed like a little community. And they're still friends to this day. And so the children of those families who are you know, my peers, maybe a little, little younger than me, mm-hmm. they're the ones who are also going out to Black Lives Matter rallies and things like mm-hmm. that. And they're posting about it. So my parents are seeing me go out there, but they're also seeing that the children of their close friends are also doing it. So I think they're realizing that this is part of the moment. Like there's an awakening happening and you can't be sitting on the sideline. There's no neutral position in my opinion. And I think my parents, I would hope, are, are, are realizing that. You know what? I think they do. They have to. But you're the baby. You're their baby. Right. Not just the baby. Not just a baby. You're their baby. Cause my mom, she's like, she's inspired by what she's seeing people do. But it's just like, you're my baby. Like I don't, you know, been separated from you too, and all this, all that stuff comes into play too. Can't you can't blame them for loving you. Yeah. You know, we we talk about the punk scene, the protesting, and all of that, right? And I don't know how much they intersect with each other. But I can imagine that if some of these people in that punk world who just want to see music, right? This is the let's get explicit moment right now. Because if some punk bands or punk fans want to see punk music, punk concerts, they're, they're supporting you and whatever it is that you're doing so that you can show them punk music. And you're showing them protests that they care nothing about. 
Even if they care about it, that's not why they signed up to watch you for. You have, you have a lot of followers and, and subscribers to your channel on YouTube, and a lot of people watch you on Instagram, right? Do you feel that your primary audience, how do you feel that they react or respond to your major shift? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think it's been a major shift. I've been covering political content since even before 2011. I think I've definitely I've amped up the amount of coverage. Uh-huh. The punk world is very interesting. There's certainly a subset. It, it comes from a very political place of rejecting uh-huh. society, authority. That's where it originally came from. But over the years, that got diluted, and it became like a very mass appeal thing that has been neutralized and watered down in terms of it being like a very potent political thing. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly a subset of people who get upset when I post political content saying like this, don't mix politics and music. This don't belong. They don't belong here. And I, my argument is, well, punk comes from this. Uh-huh. And to, they're not here to hear about the the, root, the roots of punk. They just want to hear the rah, yeah, they music. Wanna, they want to be entertained. They want to yeah. be, be, be entertained. But I make a conscious effort to, to mix them because I want to I want to make people uncomfortable because that's when you make people uncomfortable, it gets them to start thinking. So. In a weird way, I get people engaged and coming back to my feed mm-hmm. because they're waiting for that band, a video of the band that they like or the next band that they're going to discover from my video. And then I hit them with a shotgun blast of truth of just like, <laughs> this is what's going on with you, Penn and Princeton. Uh-huh. And you have to do that. How do they respond to that? I want to say that by and large, the response is positive. Mm-hmm. Again, because I think that there's a shift right now happening where people are becoming more amenable to hearing about these things and learning about it. And I think that the number of people who are really upset about me doing this, covering this stuff, that number is getting smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So people are either already engaged and they appreciate this type of coverage Mm -hmm. or they're on the fence where they're slightly curious and they want to learn more. And this content is a gateway for them to actually it's a vector for them through which they can actually learn more. Mm-hmm. So I, I've gotten a lot of people reaching out to me in the last couple of years saying, I didn't know about the, anything about move until I saw some of your videos. Mm. And so for me, when I get feedback like that, it's like, okay, even if a hundred people are sending me DM saying, stop posting this stuff. I don't want to see it. Even if I get one or two messages from people being like, Oh, I didn't know about this thing until you posted about it. That's worth it. Right. That is worth it. I am happy with that. With, with that, that percentage, with that ratio. That ratio. Mm-hmm. So it's not about winning everyone over. In my opinion, it's about winning small groups of people over. Because again, that's how you build momentum. That's how I think about it. Mm-hmm. Building momentum on social media to get people, ideally, engaged from from content. You know, we were talking about. The, I was talking to Yane about Mumia. We were talking about this thing. You know, because a lot of people they they get so wrapped up on this thing about Mumia killed a cop. He, you know, he deserves to be in prison. He did this crime or whatever, whatever, whatever. And the thing that we've been, you know, I was talking to her about it. I said I don't think the question at, at this point is whether he killed a cop or not. I think the question at this point is is there any humanity left in this society? And I guess it makes me think about some of these, some of the people, because I've seen some of the people post to your account and they were like, man, I don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? And like, I guess it makes me think of Mumia because it's like, how long is long enough? You know what I mean? How long is long enough for a person to stay in prison to be held accountable for something that they did, that they didn't do, first of all, but even that they did do, like there's people that didn't do these things. Mayors apologize for sentencing people to these crimes and all of that. And I, I wonder like, is there a need to try to win over those people with engagement? Is there a need to try to convince these people that it doesn't matter what happened at this point, keeping a person in prison for this long is unnecessary, especially when they've shown that they're different people than what you arrested them for. Is there a need to win those people over? 
I don't know. I mean, some of those people are so steadfast in their belief that nothing's going to change them. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's cognitive dissidence or what have you, like they just don't want to. Do you try to win them over when they say something? No. Every now and then someone will have a negative thing, but there's a sense that they could be convinced. Uh-huh. But by and large, when I get those negative comments, I know that I'm not like most likely not going to win them over. Mm-hmm. And again, the way that I run my platform is I'm putting content out there and I want the content to reach a large audience. Again, it started out by being filming bands and wanting bands to reach a larger, have a bigger reach. But now it's become Um, I'm documenting this very important issue. I want that issue to reach a larger audience. Mm -hmm. And the way that these algorithms work is by engagement. Mm -hmm. And so my mission objective has always been content needs to reach audience. How do I do that? And so when I get negative feedback, I sometimes encourage it to a point because... (laughs) They're kind of fueling the algorithm. They're fueling the fact that the, the by engaging on the post, it makes the algorithm think, oh, this is a post that's worth other people checking out. At least engaging in in some kind of way. They're engaging in some because these social media apps, they don't care if something's true or false. <laughs> right. They're trying to optimize user retention on the app. And I worked in tech. Like I know like this is what they do because uh-huh. that's how they make money. They make money by keeping people on the app, by keeping people engaged on the app, scrolling, commenting, liking, things like that. So in a fucked up way, it's part. Of, <laughs> it's, it's beneficial. It's beneficial. It's part of the game because again, it might get 100 people who are just like, what is this about? I don't fucking want to hear this. But you're going to reach some people. And it's again, for me, it's about slowly widening that, it. you know, widening that like reach that radius of the you know, the truth. It's just you like- know what? That makes me think about. Um, so I was talking to my producer about on the move, Mike Africa Jr. Was, how are we doing? Are, are people listening? Are, are they tuning in? What's up? And she was telling me engagement is important. And I got this negative comment from this app chat one person during the election. And. I had my viewpoint why I didn't vote. And AppShat1 got on this thing about voting. And AppShat1, I don't know if it's a he or she. So I just keep saying AppShat1. And AppShat1 said, how are you going to comment on the elections and you don't even vote? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. And then at the end of that, it said ridiculous. And that lowered... (laughs) That lowered my rating. It lowered the rating because AppShat1 gave me one star. Oh, one star. I, yeah. Yeah. And, and my producer was like, well, that's not terrible. AppShat1 stayed and listened to the entire episode. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't know if AppShat1 still listens to the show or not. I hope. <laughs> I'd love to have a conversation with this person and chop it up about what the issues i mean i i know i don't vote for a specific reason it's not an uneducated decision as to why i don't vote but the engagement part is a part that i thought was pretty interesting yeah thanks abshad one (laughs) we could do this all day man yeah i love chatting with you there's a lot to talk about there's a lot to talk about but unfortunately we have to end this one on here but before we go tell the people what you're doing next what's your next move what are you planning going forward within the next little while yes again i'm going to be filming shows again pretty soon the summer and hopefully start traveling again filming shows all over the country you and i are working on a project that's right we're working i don't know how much we want to say about that but we're uh we can say we're working on a project we're working on a project yeah I feel like that's going to be consuming a lot of my time uh-huh. and energy and focus. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited about moving forward with that. That's it. Yeah. That's what we got. And if people want to follow me, it's I the, was about to say, how can people follow you? It's the word hate, the number five, the word six on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If you want to support the work that I'm doing, it's patreon.com slash hate five six. Again, if you're into the music stuff, you can support me on there. But I was going to tell someone recently that a lot of people also follow me for the political coverage that I do. Mm-hmm. And I do almost all of it for nothing. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. You know, so if people want to materially support the work that I'm doing video wise for social movements, you can also support the Patreon. That's a good way of allowing me to continue doing this work in terms of live streaming rallies or, you know, just filming in general for different organizations that, that, that definitely goes a long way. All right. That's a wrap. Thanks for coming on the show, Sonny. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. And for all of the people out there who listen to the show, if you like what you heard, make sure you give a follow and make sure you tell a person, tell one friend to check out On The Move with Mike Africa Jr. We'll see you on the other side. Peace out. On a Move with Mike Africa Jr. is executive produced by me, Mike Africa Jr., and Tommy Oliver, produced by Crystal Hill, edited by Masu McLemore, and made for you, the people.